0: This morning it is, as um, so we gather together here as we're in this room, and we are uh, singing, we are remembering uh, God's faithfulness, his goodness to us in Christ Jesus, um, we are meeting with him, we are encountering God, the one who made everything, the one who holds everything together, we are meeting with God together this morning. And the truth is for us that as we're here, we're in this place, we're we're singing praise to God, we're worshiping him, we're telling him how great he is. We're going to spend time uh, together in smaller groups, either before this or after this, and we're remembering, we're remembering God, we're remembering how good and faithful he is, that God desires to be known. He desires for us to know him. This picture that we have of God as someone who is uh, gray-haired and stoic, and far off in the clouds somewhere is not an accurate depiction of who God is to us. And as we sing these songs to him, as we call out his character, as we remember his faithfulness, it is proof to us that he wants to be known. He desires for us to know him. It is us, on the other hand, who desire to hide We look at him and his perfection and his flawlessness, the way that he has made all things, the way that all things work together, that he is holy, he is good, he is right, that anything good that would come from inside of us has come from God. We look at him and we see his perfection and we turn around and we look to hide all the things that we think and know should separate us from him. We turn in guilt, we turn in shame, we turn away. We look to hide those things that we are not proud of, those things that we know are an offense towards God, those things that we know are the reason that God sent his son Jesus to earth to live in perfection for us and to die in our place a sacrificial death, to die where we should have died and to raise from the grave, giving us hope. We hide all of those things And trying to to please the God that we think is looking down on us in judgment. When in truth, he is the Father who looks down on us in grace. And we know this because, because of Jesus. There are aspects of God that we will not know. There are things about him that we won't know until we are at home, until we are with him in heaven. But while we are here, he gives us relationships He gives us each other, he gives us the opportunity to experience his grace, his undeserved favor and generosity towards us through the people that are sitting in this room, through the people that are going to be sitting around the lunch table after we leave here today. He gives us the opportunity to experience his goodness to us through relationship, through each other. And that is uh, what we're talking about in this series. We're in the second week of a series called Everyday Grace. Um, And last week, Danny focused specifically on the way that grace can be both given and uh, received in the context of of marriage between husbands and wives. And this morning, we're going to talk specifically about the way that grace is experienced and extended every day through the parent-child relationship. The thing about um, parents, talking about parents and children, um, is that everyone in this room uh, has some sort of level of connection to what we're talking about this morning. Um, regardless of age or life phase, we all have parents, whether we uh, like to admit that sometimes or not. We have people who have birthed us, who have um, reared us, whether they are biological or we have been adopted into a family. We have parents, so we can connect on all sorts of levels with this idea of, of being a child, of having parents. And we're also going to talk about parenting in in general. Um there are those of us in the room this morning that as as I even bring this topic to the forefront talking about parents and talking about children, I recognize that there um that there are some positive ideas that come to mind and there's some negative connotations. There are things about uh, the ideal uh, the idea of raising a child that causes some of us in this room to feel ache to hope for the promise of God to provide. That have been waiting for a child in our home. And there are those of us in this room this morning that as we talk about parenting, we are, we, we agree, we grieve the loss of children that we have had that have, have passed. There are those of us in the room as we talk about parenting, we look upward and we think about those parents who loved us and cared for us and nourished us. But they have, they've left this earth. They're here no more. And so we come to this topic and we feel a little bit of achiness. We feel a little bit of uneasiness. But this morning, we want to level this ground and see one another as people who all have common shared life experience, who can all connect to this issue of parent and child on one level or another. And if there is deep truth for us together this morning, that we are able to extend and experience God's grace to us in the context of this relationship set. So this morning um, we're gonna we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna look at the first four verses in that text this morning. Um, but but before we land there, I want to specifically talk about the way that we see this parent-child relationship just kind of woven all throughout the fabric of Scripture. We see implicit in in uh, Genesis one and um, Genesis two at creation that God created man and woman, and we see that He acted as a sort of, of father for the first children. He's the one who cared for them, who provided for them, who gave them a good home to live in. We see God as the, the father to his people, to the family of Israel. Uh, we see that in lots of different contexts in the scriptures. We see that in Isaiah, um, where uh, he specifically, and several times, talks about God as the father of Israel. We see God as the giver of wisdom to a son in Proverbs, that, that father-child, that parent-son relationship carrying out there. And then most of all, we see God as a father who sent his perfect son to earth for us to save a broken people and a broken world. This context, this relational paradigm, this relational set, it's something that we see from the beginning of creation, something that we can automatically connect to, and something that God himself gives us as a means to relate to him and in turn relate to one another. So look with me at um, Ephesians uh, chapter 6. We're going to look at the first four verses, and um, look at, at the parent-child relationship. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do, no, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction on the, of the Lord.'" What Paul's doing in his letter to this church, this church that was in Ephesians, he's talking about what relationships look like, exactly what this series is landing on, what relationships look like just in everyday life. In uh, the passage before, and Danny touched on this a little bit last week, he talks specifically about husbands and wives and what submission, relationships, the way that we experience and uh, extend grace in the context of marriage. And then he takes a step further to this next relational set, which is parent, parent and child. Um, we're going to just divide it into two sections. We're going to look specifically at, at, at children, and then we're going to look also at, at parents in our time together this morning. So what we're going to do is just kind of break down these verses. Um, there, there are things that are said here in, in these four short verses that have really strong implications for us. So let's, let's just dive right in. Ephesians 6, starting in 1, it says children, so that's who we're talking about. It gives, um, it gives one instruction, one thing that children, all of us in this room, can connect with, one thing that we are to do, and then it gives three reasons. So the thing that we're to do is to obey our parents. Children, obey your parents. Um, the question we have to ask in that is why, and it's so great that Paul answers that question for us this morning, why we are to obey our parents. As I was thinking back about this, I thought about reasons that um, I thought I should obey my parents uh, growing up. It is, um, we're not to obey our parents because they said so, um, or because uh, they will turn the car around right now and head back home. Anybody else? Even though you're in the middle of Mississippi, headed to Florida, and you think there is no way they're turning that car back around. You with me? Um, we're not to obey our parents because we don't want them to come back here. You with me on that one? We obey our parents, and it's easy to talk about my parents. There are lots of things I could bring to the forefront for you guys today about my own parenting But Paul gives us reasons in this this text why we are to obey our parents. The first thing he says is that we're to obey our parents in the Lord. This is a phrase that Paul really liked to use. He used it about 15 times just in the book of Ephesians alone. What Paul is saying in this is that responding to our parents is an issue of discipleship. It's an issue of our following Jesus. This is God's right order for relationships between children and parents, that we would live in obedience, that it is pleasing to God, that as we obey our parents and we follow them and live under their instruction, as we honor them, that we are in turn, we are respecting, we are honoring, we are following God as he's given parents to us as as an authority, as one who's to walk before us and care for us. The thing about this is that as we look at our response to our parents and we kind of pare it down to this issue of discipleship, we see that our interactions with them, they're very, very important. As we're to respond to our parents, we do so as we're following Jesus. So we do we respond to our parents the same way that we would respond to other people in life. The way that Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that our relationships, they should be so clothed in humility that we actually think of others before we think of ourselves, that we elevate them over our own needs. And as we follow and respond to our parents, that exact same thing is people that are following Jesus, that have placed our hope in this truth, that Jesus has reconciled us to God through his life, his death, his resurrection. If we're people following Jesus, then the parenting issue, uh, obeying, honoring our parents, obeying them, it's an issue of discipleship. It's an issue of following Jesus. We count them better than ourselves. We respond to them in humility. This is God's intended right order for relationships. So the first thing he says is that we obey our parents in the Lord. It's an issue of discipleship. The second thing he says is obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Um, Paul is making a common appeal just to logic here. The way that God would give parents to children As an authority, as the one who would care for them in their younger years, as the one that would rear them, that would teach them morality, right from wrong, good from bad, don't touch the stove, don't eat everything you find in the refrigerator, don't eat everything that you see connected to a piece of lint on the floor after you've dropped it on the ground, like just basic kind of things that parents teach their children For it's right. It's logical. It makes sense. It would not make sense for a five-year-old child to be the one that dictates right and wrong, good or bad, instruction or, or correction to a parent. It's a right order. This is right. Obey your parents because it's an issue of discipleship. If you are, if you're a person that's following Jesus, obeying your parents is following the Lord. But obeying your parents is also right. It makes Since God ordered it this way for a specific reason, not just randomly, not just to see how um, we could be shaped by the people that have brought us up, but God has done this with intended purpose. And then the next thing that we see is the way that that Paul talks about um, honoring our parents, obeying our parents, and he connects it to God's overall picture of instruction in right-ordered relationships. He says, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So what Paul is doing here is he's pulling back to God's kind of first list of concise rules that he gave to his people Israel. These ways that God, that man would connect with one another and live in relationship with one another and the way that man would live in relationship, um, uh, with God. So he points back, and, and all of the, the, of this four-week series, all of the different relational sets that we're talking about, all of them have direct ties back to, um, to the Ten Commandments, to God's initial giving of ways that we experience grace with Him and grace with one another. But today specifically, He's talking about, uh, the Fifth Commandment. He's talking about that, the fact that if, as we honor our Father and Mother, that there is blessing that comes along with that. There is good. Now, um, there's lots of different uh, uh, theological thoughts on how this shakes down, that this is the first command with a promise. There's a couple before that, that it would seem that there are promises connected to it. But this is a really strong relational connection. So the thought is that this uh, this commandment, the promise that's tied to it, it's right in front of our faces. It's parent-child. It's every day. It's relational context. That there's a blessing that comes along with obeying, with honoring our parents' It's an issue of discipleship. It's right. It's the way God intended things to be, and there's a blessing that is connected to it. This isn't the kind of blessing, ain't mama, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy kind of blessing. This is the blessing that comes along with obedience, not based off of performance or whether or not we think that we should honor or obey our parents. This is the blessing that comes along in living in right-ordered relationships the way that God has intended them to be. Obeying and honoring your parents does not always end up you getting things the way that you want to. And, and think about this in terms of, of children who are living at home right now currently, children who are experiencing grandparenting through their own kids, or those of us in this room that you are in the process of, of caring for your elderly parents. Honoring and obeying your parents It's not always easy. It doesn't always lead to the things that we think would make us the most happy. But ultimately, because we are honoring God in our honor and in our obedience, it leads to blessing. That is the economy of God's kingdom. Following God leads to blessing. Ultimately, that blessing is fulfilled in the hope that we have in Jesus. So if this is good for us, if honoring our parents and obeying our parents, if it is good for us, if it's a discipleship issue, if it's right, if it, is, um, if it is something that leads to blessing in our lives, then why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to honor our parents, to obey them, to listen to them? And I'm saying this as an adult child myself, along with many of us in this room today. I think there are obstacles for um, uh, obstacles to grace for children. There are things that we think about that we interact with in terms of the parent-child relationship that are difficult for us to latch onto. The first thing that I think that we look at is that selfishness causes us to think about ourselves rather than to think about our parents. We look at the way that they want to care for us and we think that they may know what is right, but oftentimes our own selfishness blinds us. James in chapter 4, he asked the question, what do you think causes all the quarrels and the fights that are among you? And he answers that question by saying it's, it's your own internal battle. It's the selfishness. It's this internal turmoil that you live in. It's the selfishness that is directly in front of us that, that causes us to not look at our parents in obedience or honor, not seeing it as an issue of discipleship, not seeing that it's right, but seeing only what we want. We're blinded by ourselves. The second thing that I think is an obstacle for us, if this is right, if this is good, the second thing that's an obstacle is our pride. We think that we know what is better. We think that we know a better way. And whether that is an eight-year-old child and what they should or should not wear out of the door in the morning, or adult children responding to their parents thinking that they know better how to handle any practical situation, there's an element of humility that must be approached in the parent-child relationship. There must be humility because this is what Jesus shows us in. This is the path that he leads us down is a path of humility of people that are following Jesus. But pride can fog that. Pride can cause us to think that we know better. The last thing that I think is, uh, it's an issue of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is a major, major obstacle for us. Selfishness, pride, those are all deep roots They cause us to be so grounded in ourselves that we cannot see others. But forgetfulness, forgetfulness for some reason, I don't know why this is the case, but for some reason, when we interact with family, we take them out of the segment of the human population and we put them in their own little bucket over here. They're not people that need grace. They're not people that need to be encouraged. They're not people that we need to respond to with the love of Jesus the same way that we would respond to our neighbor or our coworker or the person in our small group or the person that um, we work out with at the gym. We don't put them in the same category. We put them in this kind of other. They see me for who I am. They have to accept me. They have to love me. They're my parents. I'm their child. This is just kind of the, the family bucket that we drop them in. We forget that our parents, they're in need of the exact same grace that we need. They're people, just like us. They're fallen, just like us. They they need to be reminded of God's good love and care for them, just like we need to be reminded of God's good love and care for them. We cannot expect our parents to be superhuman, the same way that we as parents know our own faults and know that we are not superhuman, we're all dependent on the grace of Jesus, every last one of us. And so we cannot forget that in terms of our relationships with our parents. Now, there are consequences that come, that, that come with bad decisions. There are consequences that come with bad leaderships. There are rifts in relationships that come because of poor choices. But grace is needed in that circumstance the same way that grace is needed in our own lives. As we look at our parents, we have to remember they're people They're people just like you and I are people. They need grace, just like you and I need people. They need need grace. They need forgiveness, just like you and I need forgiveness. We have to look at these obstacles and remember that we cannot do this on our own. We cannot just push past pride. We cannot just push past selfishness. We can't just over and over remind ourselves over and over again that our parents need grace and that we should interact with them in grace. We have to look to the perfect Son of God. We have to look to him. We have to be reliant on him. As I am tempted to doubt my parents' ability to to do good toward me, to care for me, to help me even as I, and, and give me instruction as I even lead our kids. I have to look to the perfect son, Jesus, and the way that he responded to his own father, the way that he listened to him, the way that he followed him, the way that he did so, even to the point of death, death on a cross on our behalf. He was the perfect son for us. And this morning, we have to remember that. We have to remember that our connection to our parents is rooted in our identity in the perfect son, Jesus. So we're not just trying to change our behavior. We're not just trying to be more respectful. We're we're finding our identity in Christ. So we are sons and daughters because Jesus is the perfect son. Now, as we look at this Obedience, as we look at obeying our parents, um, the question would come to mind is this blind obedience? We don't, we don't, do we not take into question anything that our parents say? And we're going to address that more clearly when we talk about parents specifically. But just as there are opera, uh, obstacles in experiencing grace uh, for children, there are also unique opportunities. And I just want to hit a couple of those really briefly. We get to experience grace as we see glimpses of God's perfect picture of parenting in our parents. Okay, Now you notice that I'm saying glimpses here. We experience glimpses of what God intended parenting to be. We, um, we operate in a fallen world. We make poor choices. We um, do not always lead out of selflessness or even um, lead in a way that is humble towards our, our children. But as we do that, as we see God's undeserved, um, his undeserved generosity his, his, uh, that he gives to us, As he gives that to us, we actually experience that through our parents. So God's goodness to us, his his favor toward us, his generosity towards us, it's not just our parents that are giving us good things. It's not just our parents that are lavishing love upon us. We're experiencing the perfect pattern that God has given us in himself as the perfect father. So as we look at our parents as children, as we see a favor from them, as we see generosity from them, we actually see tangibly, practically, God's goodness to us. The second thing we do is we experience the undeserved love and care of God practically. I think that we not only just see this glimpse and picture in in love, but we also see it in the way that that our parents are there for us at times. And I know that I'm making broad statements here, and and not every parental-child relationship is perfect in the room. But the way that God has ordered relationships rightly, our parents are to be there for us in times of need, in times of, of conversation, relationally, practically. We see God's care for us. We haven't done anything to earn it, but it's the position that he's placed us in with our parents. And then the last thing is that as we experience Grace. We also have the opportunity to extend it. I just want want us to think about this today. In what way could we extend thoughtful obedience and honor to our parents today? In what way could we be an instrument of grace, practically, tangibly to our parents? In what way can we care for them? In what way can we respond to them? In what way can we remind them that God loves them, God cares for them, and our relationship to them as their child is a means by which they can experience that grace that favor, that generosity. We have an opportunity to extend that to our parents, this really practical relationship. So we see this in the child end of things, how children respond to their parents. But then we see this second section here, where we see um, uh, Paul specifically addressing parents broadly, but, but fathers specifically. He says, um, in verse four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So here he gives, um, one restriction. And he gives two responsibilities, okay? So one restriction. What does he say? He says, do not provoke your children to anger. I think, and I'm sure that all of us at some point thought that that was actually in the job description of a father growing up. Like, the job was to, the job was to, to edge, to push, to uh, provoke us to our, our very end limits. But what Paul is saying here is the kind of provocation that he's talking about is specifically the kind that would lead to anger. So here's this, this short definition I thought was really helpful. When we talk about um, provoking anger, we talk about arousing or irritating, excessive or severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging, condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insens- insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't act to them in such a way that you would push them past what God has intended them to experience as as your child. Don't be unkind. Don't be harsh. Don't be mean. Don't provoke your children to anger. I think in, um, in parenting, we're in this place where we are not chasing, we're in a position where we're not to be chasing our children's happiness, but we're also not To be chasing our own happiness. We're not chasing our children's happiness, but we're not chasing our own. And I think that when we are in times where we feel like as parents that we are pushed to the limit, where the only response is frustration, the only response is anger, the only thing that we are doing is pursuing our own release, our own happiness in the midst of our role as a parent. We're not looking to be the parents that would receive honor, that would would lead our children in seeing the Lord. We're thinking of ourselves. We're pushing toward our own happiness. We cannot control our children's response to us, but we can control our own actions towards them. I think we have to ask ourselves that question as parents, as fathers, as mothers. If we're not acting harshly towards our kids, how are we acting? How are we behaving toward them? Are we characterized, are our actions and our words, are they characterized by love Are they characterized by humility? Are they characterized by someone whose identity is truly found in the person of Jesus Christ? And so fruit of that identity, fruit of that relationship is seen in how we live. Do we see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, fruit of the Spirit? Is that exhibited not just in those to those who are around us, but to our children? Do they see that in us? So the restriction is, don't point, don't push your children to anger, don't provoke them to anger, but the responsibility that comes along with this. Bring them up in discipline. The idea of bringing is nature, it's nourishment, it's maturing, that we would be people that kind of usher our children to maturation. This idea of discipline, it's training and correction. It's really instructing them in the ways of the Lord. This doesn't happen by accident. We don't accidentally point our children to Jesus. It's not something that we just fall into one day and we're like, oh, wow, we've just been leading as a family, working as a family, and and now we're all just following Jesus together. This is an an issue of intentionality. It's an issue of discipleship for us as parents, that we would be people who bring our children up in discipline and instruction and in correction, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine, it is often a a text that has gone to specifically for what we see there in the context of parenting. This is what the text says. It says, starting in verse four, "'Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all your soul, with all your might. "'And the words that I command you today "'shall be on your heart. "'You shall teach them diligently to your children. "'You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, "'when you walk by the way, when you lie down, "'when you rise.'" You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You should build this habit, this rhythm of faithfulness, of instruction, correction, of pointing our, our kids to Jesus, that it's this natural rhythm, it's this part of our lives. It's intentionality. It's steps taken forward, not by accident, but with purpose. And I have to say, friends, that I think that one of the biggest obstacles for us, specifically in this step of intentionality and discipline and correction, of of instructing our kids and following Jesus, I think one of the biggest obstacles is fear. Fear rooted in I don't know how, fear rooted in I don't know where to start, fear rooted in what if I screw it up? What if I fail? What if I start us in one direction and then I stop? And so I build this kind of, lack of expectation from my kids. Any step is a step in leading our kids to following Jesus. This is not anyone else's responsibility, but ours as parents. God has given it to us whether we like it or not. Just as we recognize as husbands, the responsibility lies on us as we love and lead and care for our family. The responsibility of instructing our kids and pointing them to Jesus is is our responsibility whether we like it or not. We cannot abdicate it. It will not happen any other way. Correcting and instructing our children is not left to the educators in the school system. It is not left to a Sunday school teacher or a group mentor. Those, Those are great supplements to who we are as parents. Our responsibility is to lead and instruct and correct our kids. We must be men and women who point our children to Jesus. And I don't say this out of condemnation because God does not ask something of us that he does not empower us to do. He empowers us through the work of Christ on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to lead our children in following Jesus. Just take a step. I remember as a young father this was the biggest hang up for me. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do. I felt weird about it. How do you actually do that? Like do, do I need to like put together a sermon every night? I'm just going to like preach to my 4-year-old for 30 minutes? Like I did not see that going over really well at all. I can't play the guitar. I've got fat fingers. It's just a thing, right? So like I can't do the whole family worship deal. What do I do? And so I like thought there was this pattern I had to fit in in order to really lead my kids in following Jesus. A buddy of mine said, redeem what you already have. Take something that's actually already already part of a rhythm of your family and a rhythm of your life and use it as a means to point your kids to Jesus. We we started reading scripture around the table at breakfast. It was one of the only times that our whole family was together. We got to a place to where if I did not bring the Bible to the table, I got questions as to why it didn't happen. There was a rhythm. There was an intentionality. And now we're in this totally different life phase. We had three three and under at one time. Now our oldest is 10. And there's this whole different schedule that we're trying to figure out. What does this look like for us as a family? Intentionality together and following Jesus. My encouragement to us this morning, it is our responsibility to teach them. Let's harness that responsibility. Let's own it. Just take a step. And if you've already been heading down that road, let me encourage you, keep on stepping. There are no promises in parenting. A plus B does not always equal C, but what we are responsible for is ourselves. And God has said, this is ours. We must be intentional about training, correcting, about leading our children in discipline. The last thing is instruction. And it's um, to where we look at discipline as the issue of, of correction. The way that Paul uses this word instruction really is encouragement. I love the way he kind of bookends it. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't lead them to despair. But instead, encourage them, admonish them. Be their cheerleader, be their biggest fan, know who they are and how to encourage them. Not just lead them in 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 just pushing against behavior that seems to be unmanageable or seems to be difficult. So if this is good, if this is God's pattern, if this is what he's intended for us, then why is it so hard? As parents, why is it so hard? Well, it's because we have kids. It's so difficult because we have our own will, we have our own desires, and we think everything else should be bent to it. God has given us relationships and he has given us the parent-child relationship as a means of refinement, of sanctification, of pointing things out in us that do not look like Jesus that need to disappear and that only through the power of Christ can that happen. I'm not talking about good tactics for parenting. I'm talking about being a parent that follows Jesus, I think there's three obstacles that we can just kind of breeze over this morning. One is that we look at parenting and we're evaluating ourselves on our performance alone. We're not able to experience or to extend grace in the context of parenting because all we see is failure. All we see are the times that we mess up when we lost our temper and it happened on the way to church this morning because that's the way the enemy works. You got in the car and you argued on the way here. When you were sitting in your pew, when you got up from, uh, from the breakfast table, we're evaluating ourselves on our parenting performance alone and not remembering the grace that God has given us in the person of Jesus. The second thing that we do is we idolize our children. We elevate them to a place where they are the one that determines our value and our worth, and when they disappoint, we end in disillusionment. That is not the place that our children are to be. We're to love them, we're to prize them, we're to care for them, we're to encourage them as they grow. But they cannot be our God, they cannot give us value, they cannot give us worth. And when we center our lives completely, completely around that child and the way that we have elevated them to define us, it ends in disillusion and disappointment. The last obstacle that I think that we have, and this is a pretty major one in a sermon series all by itself— is that we often focus on behavior and not the heart. And I have to uh, just confess to you this morning that as a parent, I think this is the easiest trap, the easiest obstacle to fall into. We move into behavior management instead of trying to really point our kids to Jesus. The reason we do that is because it's easy. We see whatever the issue is at hand and we just want it to stop, and so we tell them, that we want it to stop, and then they ask why we want it to stop, because we want them to obey us, and we say, because I said so, because I'm your parent, because this is your job, you are my child, stop whatever it is. And not really diving to the heart of the issue. When we do this, when we just focus on behavior and not the heart, it is focusing on the symptoms, but not the disease. The symptoms can change, but the disease can still be present if we focus solely on the actions of our children and don't try to address them at a heart level, we're not fully extending grace to our kids. We're not fully pushing them towards the fullness that they can find in Jesus. We're only addressing the way that they act. And they can act one way in the insides of their lives, their heart, who they are before the Lord, can be something completely different. A plus B does not always equal C, but we are responsible for ourselves as parents. As we look at these uh, opportunities and we or look at these obstacles in parenting, we can become discouraged. We look at at the way that we um, that we parent and we see all of these faults and they rise to mind. And so what do we do with that? Just as a child, we look to the perfect son in Jesus. As a parent, we must look to the perfect father in God that he is patient, that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in steadfast love and goodness toward his children. And we know that because of Jesus. I know that in my own life. So when I fail, when I fall short, when I lose my temper, when I make a misstep, when I point my kids in the wrong direction, intentionally or unknowingly, I have to look to the perfect father where there is grace and there is forgiveness. I must ask for that. I must ask for that forgiveness for my children as well. But I must look to him. I must look to God as the perfect father. The opportunities for grace that we have in here, again, really briefly, is to experience connection with God as father. I remember, um, I remember with one of our kids early on, we were teaching them, and they had just started taking solid foods. And um, so we were sitting at the breakfast table, and um, I think it was actually lunchtime, and uh, had, had him in the high chair and had the bib on and we're, Feeding them these this like sweet potato concoction thing, right? Because all baby food looks so great, but it was this warm sweet potato piece, and and uh, the child she she loves sweet things, right? So in my mind, I'm like, I know she's gonna love this. I know she's gonna want it. I know once she tastes it, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be satisfying to her. I'm her father. I'm providing this for her. Surely she's gonna take a bite of this and say her first words. Thank you, Dad. Right? So I'm, I'm trying to feed her this food, and she just is is just pushing against it. She doesn't want to take it. And I remember in that moment connecting with God's grace in my own life that he's so good to me. He's so generous to me. He's so benevolent toward me. He wants to give me good things. And like a child who does not know better, I sit there with my mouth shut and I do not want to receive and taste that the Lord is good. This is something small, but there are moment daily instances like this for us where we can connect with God's goodness to us in parenting. Where we are able to experience His grace to us by the way that we interact with our own kids. We see Him as a good and benevolent Father toward us. The second thing is we experience His grace whether our expe- expectations for our children are met or they are unmet. If our expectations towards our kids are met, God's grace to us is evident because it's only through Him that goodness would happen through anyone. God is the giver of all good things. It's what the scriptures tell us. And so it's grace if the expectations are unmet, are met. And if the expectations are unmet, it is grace because we know that we do not meet God's expectation for us on a daily basis. And we need to receive that grace from Him. It's grace either way. And then the last thing is that we're able to extend grace, able to extend undeserved favor and generosity to our kids. Practically, tangibly, we're able to be a physical representation of a good father to our children. We live in a broken world, and when we look in the mirror, we often see this kind of broken reflection of who we feel like we're intended to be. And only through Christ is that restored. Only through Christ are we able to point our children toward the goodness of God that he has for them, but he can use us as a primary tool, as an instrument to show our kids his goodness towards them. Now, as we look at all these things this morning, as we as we tie this down, the last thing that we want to do is walk out of here with several points on how we should behave as children, and so let's change this behavior, or how we should change as parents and just change this behavior. What we have to do this morning is walk out of this room on the level ground of Jesus. People that not just our parenting and our, and our response as children have been transformed by Jesus, but all of who we are has been transformed by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and we have given, been given purpose of all who we are in Christ. Our purpose, our identity, is found in Jesus. And so the tentacles, the, they all work out into our parenting, into our responses as children. On our own, we cannot just do better. On our own, we cannot just parent in a way that, that develops children who are automatically pointing, pointing their hearts and their lives towards Jesus, only in dependence on him practically and daily. God, in this moment, I need your help. Right now, I need wisdom as how to approach this situation. I don't know what to do next. Help me know how to encourage my child. How can I respectfully obey and respond to my parents? This moment by moment dependence on Jesus. That's where we land. It's where we have to live. Not just so we'll have obedient children, not so we'll just get along with our parents, but so that we'll truly be following Jesus and living for the identity that he has given us. We must be people that recognize grace in one another and reproduce it in our relationships. And our responsibility in that today, specifically as parents and children, that's the starting point for us. So the question is, how will we respond? How will we look at our responsibility as parents and as children? How will we look at who we are and light of God's word for us today, and how will we respond? If you're in this room this morning and you hear this as, as behavior management and you don't have a relationship with Christ, that is starting point A. I'd love to invite you at the end of the service to come and speak with us. I'll, we'll give you more details on that uh, as we wrap things up. But if you're in here this morning and you're hearing this, I feel like we have to respond to these questions as a parent, as a child, how we're responding and experiencing and extending grace to one another. So I want us to spend just a few minutes in in prayer, a few minutes in reflection. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. We've talked through several different points from this text in Ephesians this morning. And there may be all sorts of of, of emotions, all sorts of feelings that you have in connecting with this. More than likely, we are seeing our faults first. And if that's where you are right now, if you're, if you're experiencing your faults as a child or as a parent, I would encourage you to turn those things over to God who loves and cares for you. Just confess that to him this morning. I've fallen short The same grace that has saved me is the grace that will sustain me as a parent, as a child. Go ahead and confess that this morning. God, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot. I need the perfect son. I need the good father. Confess that. And next, ask. Ask God, how can you Practically, today, how can you be one who experiences grace through parenting or through being a child? How can you extend grace today? Undeserved favor and generosity, how can you do that today as a parent or as a child? Not to just do good things, but to show God's love and God's care. Ask him to show you. Father, we need your grace every day, every day, every hour, every minute, every second, every breath. We need your goodness to us in Jesus. We don't deserve it. We've not done anything to earn it, that you would care for us enough to forgive us and restore us into relationship with yourself, to give us purpose, to give us life. We need your grace And Father, today we pray specifically over over these relationships, over who we are as children in response to our parents and as parents to our children, that we would be a people who know who we are because you are our good father and that you sent your perfect son for us. And because of that, we become your sons and daughters. We know what it's like to be your children. And so we would be a people that live, that extend that grace to those around us at the lunch table today, at the dinner table tonight as we're celebrating mothers, that we would both experience and extend that grace that we have received through your son Jesus, that we would practically be able to give that to one another. Father, use us. Use us that we would experience joy, we would experience happiness in our relationships, but ultimately that we would clearly point one another to your goodness, Father, to us in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.